I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And today I want to explore the Netherlands in a social kind of way, in a, in a how a society lives together and manages together. The Netherlands, I believe, is the most densely populated part of Europe. It's sort of a beacon of freedom for a lot of people. Of course, it's got some problems, but we all have problems. And the Dutch think out of the box in pragmatic ways to deal with these problems. And I think they're pretty proud about the way they've found some clever solutions. I've uh, invited into our studio today Tan von Handeren to join us and give us an insight into the Dutch tolerance and Dutch ways of life. Tan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Now, Tan, your first name's easy, Tan. Yeah. Your, your last name, von Garderen, it's spelled, but how do you say this in Dutch? Garderen. Garderen. Ha, ha. So yeah. there's a lot of this guttural business in the, yeah, in the Dutch right. language. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And then the other complication is the Dutch people all speak English, so we, we have a tough time learning your language. Yeah, I know, and they want to show off that they can. Hey, let's talk about your culture and how you, uh, you're you so famous for tolerance, but you're dealing with some serious problems these days. Yeah, you all know the murder of first Fontaine and later on Van Gogh. And, uh, well, in fact, since 1671, nobody was uh, killed for his uh, belief until four years ago, first Fontaine and then Van Gogh. So this is a, a politician and a yeah. playwright. Yeah, So people right. who were um, edgy and they offended some of your immigrant communities yeah. or they offended some people politi- and they were actually killed. This is yeah. a new thing that the That's Netherlands a new thing, with. yeah. And there always have been problems in society between groups, but the Dutch trick to keep it in shape was let everybody have his own life as long as you don't bother the others. So that's a fundamental thing. That's is a fundamental do thing. Do what you want to do as long as you don't bother somebody else. Right. Is that right. realistic? That's uh, Yeah, it did work fine. Uh, even when the Protestant religion was the only official religion, the Catholics were allowed to have their hidden churches, and everybody knew, but this was fine as long as they had no political power. Okay, that was in the 17th century. Uh, thereafter, thanks to the French Revolution, uh, equality for all the groups in society, and yeah, we have to maintain the dikes. We have to work together to keep the country dry. So you cannot allow conflict to become too high. Oh, so if you all fight amongst yourself, the sea will come and wash you all away. Right. So right. Yeah. work together, keep yeah. the sea out, a common enemy. Yeah, that's right. Do you still have the common enemy today? Is it still functioning or is this breaking down? Um, yeah, well, we still have the water, but we have institutionalized the management of water. So we don't feel responsible. There is just a nice club. They do the water work, so we don't think about it. I always say we had two things in common in the Netherlands, the queen and soccer. The Netherlands was famous for soccer, but uh, now soccer is, is out of, of terms. We are not that good anymore, and the queen is not that important. So the things, keeping the people together is getting less, is getting away. And then we have the other problem that uh, originally in society we had the, the Catholic, the Protestants and the Socialists. Now, now we have a fourth pillar in society, which is the Muslim population. They came in initially with the idea to work a couple of years. That's at least what the Dutch mm-hmm. government uh, wanted. And then they should go home. Well, they stayed, they got children, and now they are becoming the fourth group. What are the three groups, the first three groups? The Catholic, Protestant, Socialist. Ah, and now the Islam community. What percent of your society is is Muslim? Uh, Well, that's about 6%. 6%? Is that growing? Yeah, it's growing, and uh, that's the only uh, group who still does get two, three, four kids so they're, statistically, they'll be growing faster. Yeah. 
there must be a concern that the Muslim community is not assimilating. They're, they're yeah. operating in a parallel and separate world within that's, the Netherlands. That's right. And uh, the whole idea of live and let live uh, did work well because the three older groups know how to do it. Now, the Muslim population, they say, I don't want my kids to go to a school with homosexual teachers. So they don't accept the tolerance which is fundamental for our society. So here we have this live and let live tolerance. I mean, yep. the Netherlands is a classic example of tolerance. You've got Protestants and Catholics. They completely disagree in yep. a lot of ways, but live and let live yep. in, the same, in the same neighborhood. Right. You've got socialists and people who disagree with them, and yep. you've managed to live and let live. Yep. You've got your uh, motorcycle clubs. You got pot smokers, yeah. you got prostitutes, yeah. all of them living and let living. That's right. And now the you say there's a fundamental change now yeah. with the Islamic community. Yeah, how to solve this problem? Uh, well, first of all, we should know that not every Muslim is a fundamentalist. Right. No, a lot of people just live their life and that's okay. But uh, within this group, uh, there are some people who don't understand the Dutch way of living. I want to go back to the idea that you brought up, Ton, about extra legal. I mean, there's legal, there's illegal, and then there's some things that are technically illegal, but you let it happen. Yeah. In the old days, when the Protestants took over, Catholicism was not allowed. And there's hidden churches. When you go yeah. to Amsterdam, you right. find big Catholic churches that just don't have a, a front. Yeah. But everybody knows they're there. And every Sunday, hundreds of Catholics yeah. would go up this little stairway. It, it was just a political thing. The Protestants in charge didn't want to take over the Catholics. So they found it was probably easier to Okay, it's illegal, but we're not going to enforce that. Yeah. And today, centuries later, you got this marijuana community. Yeah. And marijuana is, um, contrary to popular belief, it, it's not legal in the Netherlands. No. What is the legal story of marijuana? Okay. Uh, the funny thing is consumption is legal, but production not. Yeah. So you can buy marijuana in the coffee shop. Five gram per person. So I could sit on the on the front step of the city hall and smoke a joint. Yeah, and that's... blow the smoke right at a policeman, and he would say, uh, uh, "Have a good day." Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. So where you smoke it, that's up to you. Where you buy it is uh, limited to the so-called coffee shop. And so, these have licenses. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is that they get their stuff through the back door. But it leaves through the front door. So uh, it's it's actually not legal to buy it in a wholesale way. No. No. So how does that work? I mean, is that just a wink-wink thing? It seems like that's a very um, illogical kind of breakdown. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And the coffee shop itself is uh, supposed to have enough stuff for 100 clients. But uh, we all know they have much more. So the production and the way it comes to the coffee shop is illegal. And sometimes police comes in and then they say, oh, you have more than what you are supposed to have and you have to pay a fa uh, penalty. Legally, how much marijuana can you grow in your house? And only for your own consumption, which means five plants. So it's perfectly legal to grow five plants in your yeah. house. Yeah, but at the moment you have six, you are They're offending the law. It's interesting to think that this has been established now in the Netherlands. Yeah, it started 73. 73. And what do the people who are anti-drug people, but pragmatic, what is mm -hmm. their take on this now that you have a track record? What has been the experience in Amsterdam? Let me first explain why did they decide to uh, legalize soft drugs. The idea was if we do that, then we can focus on the real bad things, the hard drugs. Okay, so in a coffee shop you can be having loner bongs and you can be having people sitting there rolling a joint and playing backgammon, but yep. that does not mean that it's uh, soft on 
harder drugs. No, no, hard drugs is uh, illegal. You never can buy uh, hard drugs in a legal way. It will be always illegal. And do the people who run the coffee shops support this? Yeah. They do, because they say the audience we get uh, are just people who are in for uh, for a nice time and not uh, really drug addicts. And I looked up the, the number of people dying because of drug abuse in uh, Europe, and if we relate the number of people dying from drugs to total population, the Netherlands is uh, really far below the average. So you're effectively keeping down the abuse of hard drugs yeah. by using coffee shops to actually be a firewall for drug enforcement yeah. uh, to keep control of this problem, because every country's dealing with needle drug problems and, and uh, heroin and, and this kind of hard drug abuse. Yeah. Roger in Orlando, Florida, emailed us, and he said, I've heard that some people are actually arrested for marijuana in Amsterdam uh, only because it would keep the United States happy. Have you heard anything about this? Does the United States have an impact on, on your drug laws? Yeah, well, I know the United States uh, a couple of years ago was very strong on the ecstasy, and uh, also uh, policemen from the States came to the Netherlands to assist the Dutch in fighting ecstasy. Uh, but ecstasy is something totally different than marijuana. So if you have ecstasy, if you sell it, or even if you have it, it's illegal, and it might be a reason for uh, arresting. And, you know, I've, I've never felt any doubt about this. In the Netherlands, marijuana is considered like alcohol and uh, nicotine, yep. and uh, the Netherlands are not light on hard drug abuse. It's a serious problem in the society, and the police are on it, and people are being, and it's being enforced. Yeah. Yeah, the Netherlands is, is uh, famous or infamous for producing and exporting uh, hard drugs, but the use in the country itself is not not too big. And after this easygoing approach to marijuana since 1973, statistically, yeah. has uh, use gone up or down? Um, I, I can't say. I think it's. I don't have those figures, but I think it's it's about the same. So um, it's not. You don't open a floodgate of people who are just wasted because no. marijuana is everywhere. No. Tell me about this distribution problem. Are they making efforts now to to be more logical about uh, making distribution legal and efficient and, and no, licensed that's, and That's uh, a common uh, play we have every four years with new government. Then uh, the bright is one of the class says, uh, why shouldn't we legalize the whole procedure? Then the Ministry of Foreign, say, uh, Foreign Affairs says, shut up because... Uh, we have problems with our neighbors. They don't like it. So that's... Uh, so really, the Netherlands would like to just be more business-like about this. Yeah. But your neighbors, your trading partners, the French don't like it to be so yeah. easy. The Germans, yeah. the Americans. Yeah. The Swedes. When you walk around Amsterdam, you see smart shops. Mm -hmm. And these smart shops are, uh, they say they sell 100% natural products that play with the human senses. That's now, a nice way of saying it. Now, so what, tell me what a smart shop is. Yeah, well, you can buy uh, biological uh, products. This is mushrooms. Mushrooms, yes, especially mushrooms. That's that's the basic thing. Well, I'm curious, but uh, I must admit that I still didn't try it. Right. But that's something that people sell, and it's just um, buyer beware. Yeah. And well, well th th there is still a problem about because it's a relatively new product, and uh, we have a list of uh, drugs which are allowed and which are not allowed. But mushrooms is totally new, so it's not on the list of neither of these two groups. So it's a kind of gray area in between. So it fell through the cracks. Yes. There's actually a coffee shop called the Gray Area in Amsterdam mm -hmm. that might uh, relate to that. Yeah. Now, ironically, you're so easygoing on marijuana, but tobacco, most of the package of the tobacco, it says smoking can kill you. Yeah. Uh, then I guess a lot of local people say life can kill you. 
Yeah, but uh, the people, the smokers, uh, they don't have a strong voice anymore. So they are getting a little, little bit timid. They're getting timid. Yes. All right. So, uh, you can still find a lot of smoke in the little coffee shops and it's tobacco shop smoke. Yeah, that, uh, that's right. Yeah. And in bars, in, in many bars, it's still allowed to smoke. In public uh, buildings, of course not. And even the train station, uh, waiting for the train, there's one pile. And those who want to smoke on the, on the platform have to be within two feet distance of that pile. So this goes with the whole Dutch notion that you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't bother other people. Right. Well, you look back in history. Uh, the Netherlands have always welcomed people who are different. Protestants could come there. The um, pilgrims were leaving, were fleeing yeah. for religious persecution. Yeah, and they the pilgrim fathers, yes. Before they... sailing over to Plymouth. Yeah. Yeah, they came from Britain because there they were considered too radical. And uh, in the Netherlands, they were welcome. Leiden and Amsterdam, that were their main seats. You can actually go to a church where the pilgrims worshipped in the Begenhof in yeah, Amsterdam. Right. Uh, Jewish people were welcomed in the Netherlands. Yeah. I think the Netherlands are very pragmatic. These people, they're different, but they're business partners, and mm-hmm. we, can, uh, we, we want to have these friends. Yeah. And, of course, you were a great sailing power. Small country, Henry Hudson, world power, yeah. you need sailors. Yeah. Hey, kind of loosen things up to attract the sailors. Is there something to that? Yeah, well, I think uh, the English, the British, makes a lot of funny jokes about us, and it's just because they are jealous that uh, not them, but we were the masters of sea. You, the Dutch, were the, the masters Dutch, of yes. the sea. This whole uh, situation today where you have the most densely populated country in Europe, and I think a lot of my friends in the Netherlands say, well, we're very densely populated, uh, and a consequence of that is we're so organized. Do you find that there's a sort of a negative aspect of being so organized and, and, and tightly uh, packed together? Yeah, um, sometimes fantasy and flexibility is lacking. Yeah? Uh, so it's say this som- again, sometimes? Fantasy. The idea, the creativeness in society is sometimes uh, missing because uh, everything is set to standard rules. And uh, the other thing is that every square inch is planned. Uh, there's no, uh, even nature is, is uh, planned, it's not original. So that's a consequence, really, of the density of your population. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We have uh, people calling us, and our phone number is 877-333-RICK, or you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. We're talking about Dutch tolerance, and we've got Sue on the line in Boulder, Colorado. Hi, Sue. Hi, Rick and Tom. Hi, Sue. Got any comments or questions for Tom? I, oh, I've got some comments, <laughs> mm-hmm. and maybe a question. Um, I actually had a, a, a horrible experience in Amsterdam this past July. I've been there many times. I, I've always loved it, and it was such a different experience when I was there. Um, I got off the train and entered, you know, that that main street there, and there was all kinds of construction. There were temporary walls that had been erected. Lots of noise. It was hot. Now that I can't complain about. I expected mm-hmm. it. I took a walk um, in some of the areas that I've gone to before, and it was the very first time that I have walked in the back streets along the canals of Amsterdam and at times um, felt unsafe. I've always appreciated the diversity and have felt, you know, with all the tolerance for differences that, that I was safe. But there was one point when I turned a corner and started to walk down a block there were men sort of swarming, is the word that comes to mm-hmm. mind, hanging out um, along the edges of the building, beginning, sort of looking at me in a way that 
I intuitively, my gut just told me, turn around, it's not safe. And I've never, never felt that way before, even walking in the red light district yeah. um, at night. So I'm, I'm, I, that's one of my questions, is I'm curious if there's something that has shifted there. Well, to answer that question, uh, first of all, uh, keep in mind that Amsterdam decided to solve the traffic problem in town by constructing a new subway line. We have subways in 73, but a new one is under construction. So that creates noise and uh, also... The corners. whole area in front of yeah. the train station is a construction zone because they're building yeah. this underground subway. Yeah. Yeah. And you know where where construction goes on, then there are some dark corners and it might attract uh, pickpockets. But uh, that's just uh, one part of the town. They are not constructing the whole town. So uh, if you see a spot which you don't like, then then try to find a nicer place. Right. You know, the other thing that I experienced, I stayed at the, I guess, Rick, from what I understand from your, your book, is the only maybe floating hotel the in The hotel Amsterdam. you are talking the about. The hotel, yes. Yeah. Horrible. I yeah, at the moment, there. yes. <laughs> Sorry? At, at this moment, yes, because on that whole area, uh, they are planning, or not planning, constructing a new library, new offices. Uh, so it's uh, the biggest uh, construction site of Amsterdam at the moment. It, it actually wasn't the construction part of it. It was that um, the people who had checked into the hotel who were getting drunk as the night went on, and what ended up happening is there were groups of men who had... Um, congregated on the dock in mm-hmm. front of the hotel over which my room w- looked, and there was no air conditioning, so my window was open. And the group got bigger and bigger, drunker and drunker, hollering to the men who were staying above my room, next to my room. Um, they didn't know that there was a you know female in the room, I don't think, but they were hanging out the windows and so from about 12 midnight to 3 a.m. Yeah, that's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> but can we go back to your initial question? You, yes. Your question was, is there a shift from nice, yes. easygoing Amsterdam to yes. a kind of a hard society? Yes, that's the question. Uh, that's the question. And I don't think so. I think you had just bad luck. Okay. Well, al- also, luck. Amsterdam is a big city. It's a party capital on a Friday and a Saturday. It's going to be really... Um, I think, unenjoyable at midnight on the street if you're not out for a, a, a boozy time, you know. And that's uh, a problem. And uh, there is sort of this notion of the disease of Amsterdam that a lot of nearby towns are hoping doesn't come their way. Yeah. As far as just a city that attracts ruffians from other cultures, uh, probably half of the people on the street were not Dutch. Right. And they were coming there because of Amsterdam's reputation. I know all over Europe when it comes to enforcement of drug policies and so on, like in Switzerland, everybody knows, well, drug laws are enforced strictly in the spring because every year they don't want tourists to think that Switzerland's easy on drugs. Mm -hmm. And then so the tourists are going over to Amsterdam where they don't worry about it. And then later on, they lighten up and and they're not enforcing these so much. But people don't want to develop a reputation as a, a haven for rowdiness and hedonism on the streets at midnight. Amsterdam, on the other hand, is this pretty um, open society, and, and that is the downside of it, i got to admit, and I, I can sympathize with you, Sue. I think it was just the wrong choice of hotels that night, yeah. so, so bad luck was in there, it sounds like. Well, thanks for yeah. uh, your comment, and I'll take that yeah. in mind when I update the book. I'll warn people that if you sleep in this big hotel, <laughs> it may be cheap, but it's right there where all the noisy people are, especially on the weekend. Okay, <laughs> thanks Sue. Thanks a lot. Happy travels. Uh-huh. Thanks, Sue. And Linda in Ridgefield, Washington, how are you doing? Good, I'm good. I had some questions about, there. since it sounds like there's a lot of things in Amsterdam that are not real um, family-friendly, are there areas of Holland that 
um, would be more conducive to traveling with your children, and how expensive is it to travel in um, the Netherlands? You know, I'll butt in before Ton speaks, because I'm a parent, and I've been with my wife in the Netherlands and all over Europe, and I am uncomfortable taking my kids past a postcard rack where you've got all sorts of pornography mm-hmm. basically sold in the form of big postcards. Uh-huh. And, I mean, it's just really crude and it's really just sexy. And I think that's a, a problem for parents with, with young kids that don't want to see that. You walk by sex shops and you see all sorts of uh, things that vibrate for all sorts of uh, kinky kind of sex that you'd rather your kids didn't know about for a mm-hmm. long, long time. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to your hotel and you turn on the TV and, and you've got people slamming away right there on Channel 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just can't believe this is so easily accessible in the Netherlands. And then I go to my friend's house who are just uh, suburban Dutch people and they've got a government-produced handbook for smart sex or safe sex, and it's very graphic, and the government pays for this, and everybody's got it, and then the biggest TV show this week is the Kama Sutra, and uh, in in the United States, we're going in the other direction, so there is that reality in Amsterdam especially that I think you just got to know about, and frankly, if you don't want to expose your kids to it, uh, you can't go to Amsterdam because you're going to see that, they're going to see it, they're, it's like eye candy to kids who have never seen it before, and it could be problematic for a parent. Uh, Ton, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I I think you're totally right in that, yes. Yeah. So it's the alternative, and, and the Dutch have dealt with this. I mean, it doesn't erode the character of the Dutch people. That's what's fascinating to me. Yeah. See, a well, lot of parents... I have two kids as well, 12 years old, and uh, yeah, they, they know how it all works, but it doesn't mean that they get dirty minds just because of seeing this. Uh-huh. I really believe there's more sexual perversions and wife-beating and accidental children and drug abuse in the United States, statistically per capita, than there is in the Netherlands. And it's because there's two fundamentally different approaches to these social realities. And it's a tough uh, pill for America to swallow, but maybe the narrow and, and restrictive approach is actually counterproductive. And the Dutch are experimenters and pioneers in this more pragmatic approach to things. I mean, prostitution, I think, is uh, uh, very different there. And when a prostitute gets in trouble and she pulls her emergency cord, a pimp doesn't come running to her aid. A policeman does. Mm -hmm. And and that's quite a bit different. Uh And and a prostitute is checked for AIDS. And if they've got AIDS, they're no longer uh, in business. The Hells Angels have a government-sponsored clubhouse, and it's outside of town. So they're not bothering people downtown. There's a lot of very interesting uh, things the Dutch have done, which would never float in the United States. Yeah, they, it seems like my, my mother's German, and she's like, why would you go there? It's just a thin city, and, you know, that's kind of the reputation. I've, I've heard that it's not clean and that people are stoned on the streets, and so I'm a little bit leery of even thinking about traveling there. What is, what is the concept of social control, Ton? Because you have this whole everybody together. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. The, the idea is let live and uh, live your own life and let other people do their life as long as you don't bother each other. But, of course, you don't want to have a junk in front of your door. So uh, there are junks and we make special houses for them where they can... Uh, Junkies, you mean? Yeah, junkies. Yeah, yes. there, so there's a needle problem everywhere. In the yeah. Netherlands, they don't have them on the streets. They have them in a clinic. Yeah. There's a funny uh, sort of hypocrisy. The United States people are really offended by Dutch people that that ride bikes without a helmet. Mm. And in the Netherlands, there's no guns. You know, we have yeah. we lose, we lose 15,000 people a year with handguns, mm-hmm. and uh, we have to have helmets. If I drive down the street on a bike without a helmet... I'm a bad man. Yeah, but that's because it's a different society here. The United States is a 
car-oriented society. And remember, our towns were laid out in, in the time there were no cars. So small streets, if you go by car, then you better go slow. So the danger of going on bike in the Netherlands is very low compared to the States. Thank you so much. Oh, good luck. Bye. 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 I'm talking with Tan van Harderer. Harderen. Harderen, excuse me, Tan. And we're enjoying an insight into Dutch tolerance. Uh, my friend is from the Netherlands. He works as a tour guide. And uh, you have just such a beautiful and fascinating and challenging country for us Americans to check out. Uh, we have Richard on the line from Simi Valley in California. Hi, Richard. Hello, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Do you have a comment or a question for Tan? Well, I'm certainly not going to try and pronounce his last name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this whole conversation has been very, very interesting because it's exactly the information I'm looking for. We're planning to go to Amsterdam on our way to uh, Germany, where our family is located. And I haven't been there in a long, long time. And thought Amsterdam would be a great place to stop and to check out the canal ride. Um, And I was just wondering, um, it, it just doesn't sound like it's, all that neat place to take our 14-year-old granddaughter. If we're very prudent about just coming in for the day and spending the next in canal ride and then just um, looking good to go back to the trains, is it going to be uh, a problem for us with our 14-year-old granddaughter? No. First of all, I think uh, 14 years is not really a kid. <laughs> See, Europeans have such a different approach to this because I've gone through yeah, the same thing. You know, because you know, I'm, I'm looking at... We would call ourselves fundamental Christians, which, you know, we're a little more, um, less risk uh, tolerant. Mm -hmm. Richard, let me me give you a proposal, because you could stay nearby in Harlem. That's where I would stay. It's a cute town. Uh, Amsterdam, nothing cute about Amsterdam. Amsterdam's rough and tumble and historic and just, it's a great place. But I prefer keeping my groups and my family in Harlem. You side trip in by half an hour by train. Hold your daughter's hand. It's not scary. It's it's okay. And, you know, you can just walk and enjoy the wonders of Amsterdam. And, and she might be uh, interested in the postcard racks, but the worst thing you're going to see is window displays and postcard racks. She can be completely oblivious to the marijuana culture and so on. You can take her on a canal boat ride. You can rent bicycles. You could go to the Rijksmuseum. Uh, Van Gogh Museum. You could walk through the Jordan area and Frank's house. Uh, It's a beautiful place there. And I really think if you, if Grandma and Grandpa would keep keep a a leash on her, uh, you could structure a whole day with wonderful sightseeing and you wouldn't expose her to anything uh, that you wouldn't want her to see um, in more than a fleeting glimpse. Great. That sounds like great information. Yeah. And good luck. And I I think you should do it, really. It would be really a shame to take your granddaughter to Europe and not give her a a look at Anne Frank's house and the Rijksmuseum and a walk through the Jordan area. Rent a bike. You can rent paddle boats. On the, yep. on the canals, that's a lot of fun for a 14-year-old. And take it's hard the, work. It's hard work, <laughs> yep. and take the canal tour. Okay, Richard? Sounds like a plan. Thank you very, very much. You bet. Bye. Bye. When we think about the um, tolerance and the lifestyle, how does Amsterdam compare with the Netherlands in general and the smaller towns? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question because many people think we have seen Amsterdam, now we know the Netherlands. Uh, totally wrong. Uh, in the central part of the country, we have the so-called Bible belt and uh, people living there fundamentalist in fact so fundamentalist is something typical of the dutch society that's not something new it always was there but it was in control 
And there's a section of the Netherlands that's completely new, Flevoland. And and there, the residents are older than the trees, I believe, in some cases. Yeah. Tell me about Flevoland. It all started with Mr. Lely in 1890. He said other countries get more land by making wars. And, of course, he was thinking about Germany. Uh, We'll do it in a more professional way. We just get out the water and make land. And the idea at that time, 1890, was that the population of the Netherlands in the year 2000 would be 20 million. Well, at the moment, we are 16.3 million. And they thought, if there will be that many people, they all have to eat. So we need more land for agriculture. Hmm. And probably you know that nowadays uh, farmers are paid for not producing. So you've stopped reclaiming land from the yep. sea now. Yeah. And, and your population uh, is not growing as fast as you anticipated. Yeah, that's right. And Flavoland is this big, giant golf course, it looks like. And yeah. it's flat and it's green and it's decorated with windmills. And yeah. there's actually, these are modern windmills. So yeah, windmills yeah. are not a thing of the past. There's only a few, handful of the old windmills working, but you find forests of windmills. Yeah. Tan from the Netherlands, thank you very much for sharing a little bit about your exciting and challenging culture. The yeah, well, it was nice to get you a few of the Netherlands. It was uh, my pleasure. Thank you well. Als du blieft. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, one small group at a time. This year, we're offering more than 30 exciting itineraries. For a free tour catalogue and Rick Steves Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour section at ricksteves.com.